Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and grab a seat. As you do, I would encourage you to find uh, one of the scripture journals that should be on a seat around you or maybe the seat that you are um, sitting in. Um, We kind of scattered them around the room. Um, You can uh, use this. This is our gift to you, so this is yours. Um, What you'll find is um, uh, the ESV translation of of Acts, which um, is the translation that we uh, preach from and use here at, at City on a Hill. But um, inside, is uh, it'll have scripture on one page and a place to take some notes on the other page. And so um, I would just encourage you to take this and use this. If you need a pen uh, this morning, maybe you didn't grab a pen on the way in, um, a couple of our uh, greeting team will, would love to give you a pen, so they're going to come forward. You can just kind of wave at them, and they'll, uh, they'll chuck you a pen, and, um, and you, can, uh, you can use uh, one of those. My hope is with this is that in giving out these that this will be not just um, a tool to kind of take some notes on, but really that this will be a place that you can um, record all that we're going to see and um, learn and hopefully um, grow in together as a church this year. And, and, and my hope would be is that as you look back, uh, maybe there'll be some things that you could um, uh, just be reminded of and, and see uh, that, that God has, uh, has done and worked. And so this could just be just more than, again, just a place to take some notes. Hopefully, it's just a record of all the things that God is teaching and, and working and, and growing, um, growing us in. And so... Uh, take that, use that, and uh, hopefully you were able to find one. If you're online and you'd like one of those, um, reach out to us. Uh, maybe you can come by the office sometime or we can find a way to get them to you. We'd love to um, just put this in as many hands. And I just encourage you to bring that back each week. And as I mentioned last week, some of you took some notes last week that I know are going to get copied in. I would do the same thing. That's how I, that's how I roll. Um, Got to have everything in place and in order and all of that. So Well, hey, go ahead and open up to Acts. We're going to be in chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. As you turn there, um, you know, just kind of want us to get us thinking about something this morning. Have you ever been a part of something um, that you had just a ton of expectancy for? You know, that you knew was going to be big. Uh, you knew something was going was to happen, um, and, uh, and, and, and there was just sort of a season of, of waiting, of hoping, of, of anticipation, looking. Um, you know, oftentimes we experience this maybe at seasons of times of transition. Um, if you've taken on a new job, uh, sometimes you always go into that job hoping it's going to be, you know, the best job you've ever had, right? Uh, better, than, <laughs> better than the last, hopefully, right? Um, if you've moved to a new area or moved into a new home, um, you know, there's an expectancy of, oh man, this is going to be good to hopefully live, live here or be here. Um, you know, may not be the case, but, but hopefully that is. Or, or maybe uh, those of you that are in school, if you're kind of heading to middle school or heading to high school or going off to college or, or whatever it might be, if there's like just those transitions, there's expectancy. And sometimes the expectancy that we have uh, pans out and it turns out to be as good, sometimes even better. Uh, than, than we know. Other times, maybe you look back and you're like, this is a really, there's an amazing thing going on here, and I didn't even know to expect that. Like, it, it, it was kind of unexpected joy, unexpected um, uh, just excitement in, in what you're experiencing. I can imagine that there was a level of expectancy uh, present in this small group of uh, Jesus followers following uh, the, the days when he ascended into heaven. If you were with us last week, we began our study, our series in the book of Acts, and we saw that Jesus ascended to heaven, and before he did, he entrusted to these, these um, uh, faithful followers this, this mission, this call on their life. 
And he said, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So here's Jesus saying, you're going to be my witnesses all the way to the end of the earth. But first, you need to receive the power from the Holy Spirit. You need to wait. And so there was this period, this time, this, this um, you know, days of expectancy. And you can just feel it. I'm sure it was heavy. And, and they, they felt it uh, knowing that going in here. And I wonder, you know, I always put my, try and put myself in their shoes. Like how much do you think they knew just how big and how um, vast the spread of the church would be? You know, if they knew it was going to be, and I don't think they did, right? I don't think they were picturing thousands of years and, and, and even understanding and knowing just how large the planet is and how many people would be reached over the years. They had no idea the impact that their faithfulness in those early days, those early months, those, those early years would yield in witnessing to what they had seen and heard of Jesus. But what we saw, what we see kind of in this place, we're looking at sort of a unique passage this morning. Because if you've spent any time in the book of Acts, my guess is you've heard and, and probably, um, you've probably heard sermons. Um, I'm sure there are better sermons than, than what you heard last week from, from Acts um, 1, particularly 1.8. And, and certainly, you've probably heard or studied, if you've, again, if you've spent any time in Acts, Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, where the church begins and the Holy Spirit comes. And, but there's that in-between passage, this in-between time. This is what we're looking at this morning. And there's some real, um, some real uh, direction for us here this morning that we're going to see. Because there was an attitude and an expectancy there among Jesus' followers which set the course for the way that they were going to respond and interact together. If we could uh, add one word to expectancy, I would also put the word unity. They had great unity there in those early days that lasted and permeated throughout the life of the church. We're calling the sermon this morning all, uh, with one accord. We get this right from the passage this morning, but the idea of with one accord is this idea around unity. So if I could, I'd love to give you a big idea that we're going to see fleshed out in our text this morning. This is kind of the, um, the nail that we want to pound and uh, the point that we want to see and, 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 and know from our text, and it's this, is that our unity, the unity that you and I experience within the church, is a direct reflection of our unity with Jesus. Our unity within the church is a direct reflection of our unity with Jesus. See, one of the things that was true about these followers of Jesus is they were united with him on mission and on purpose. They had been followers of him. They had been there and heard his teaching and witnessed the miracles and, and spent time with him, getting to know him. And there was this great unity that they had with Jesus. And they had seen that unity that Jesus had with his father modeled, Right? As he prayed, as, as they got to witness and see his commitment toward this mission that he had come with to, to do the Father's will to the point of death on a cross, you see this unity played out there. Well, that unity then was reflected in their relationships together. And one of the things that I think we need to be reminded of is this was one of the central things that Jesus was driving home to the disciples in those final hours that he was with them before his resurrection if you remember or you've studied or looked at the um, priestly prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden, it's recorded for us in John chapter 17. We see this prayer of Jesus before heading to the cross. And in John 17, 11, he said this. We have it on the screen for you. He says, 
And I am no longer in the world, but they, speaking of his followers, his disciples, they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. See, this was the prayer of Jesus for those disciples, is that they would be one. And the way that they were one is that they would be one in the same way that he, Jesus, and his Heavenly Father are one. I don't think you get more united, more one than that, right? And he's like, would that same oneness be true of my followers? But here's the thing. He didn't just pray for his disciples that were with him there in the garden that night. He also prayed for all of us. He prayed for the church that was to come. Look at John 17, verse 20. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, so that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. So here's the thing about this passage um, is we see in it this oneness within the church was meant to be for the watching world a picture of the oneness that Jesus had with his heavenly father and a picture of his heavenly father's love for Jesus and then in turn Jesus's love for the church. When they see, when the world sees this oneness, would they know that you sent me and that you loved them even as you loved me? When we talk about unity within the church, we're talking about something that is so, so crucial and yet something that is so, so not always present, apparent. You know, we could probably go around the room if you've spent time in church, you've probably experienced a a level or a season of, of maybe some disunity. Right? And it can, it can destroy, it can drag down, it can, it can be painful and hard. And here we are in this uh, season and kind of time that we're living in right now, and um, I feel like a broken record, right? I feel like we, we address or sort of talk about the pandemic, and, and maybe my thought is that if we don't talk about it, it'll just go away, right? But that hasn't worked so far. Like, <laughs> it's still here. We're still uh, living in through this, like, season, and we just all wish that it would just be like, can we just go back, right? Can we, can we, can we just, everyone just kind of forget, like, wake up from this bad dream, and it's, it's all kind of over. But what we've lived through for the last year and a half plus, right, has been challenging and hard and full of disagreement around us and at times disagreement within us, things that we've kind of wrestled with and sought to see. And it's, it's taken things from us. You see, I don't even know if we understand and recognize all the, all the impact, all the effect that this last year and a half is gonna have on just people, the world. The isolation that's been experienced, the loss that's been experienced, the conflict that has been experienced, all of this is going to have impact on us and it's going to send ripples for years and years to come. And as we find ourselves in the place that we're in today, right, we're in a very different spot than we were a year and a half ago. If you remember back in March of 2020, when everything was kind of starting to shut down and nobody knew anything, do you remember those days? It was weird days. Like I remember feeling like if I went outside... I was going to die. 
and I was going to kill other people around me. Like that was kind of the level of threat that I felt. Like we were bringing our groceries home and washing them, right? If I pumped gas, I felt like I was like, oh man, like should I? Like I, get, I mean, I need gas, so I, I guess I need, you know, like, and I, I, I remember just getting, like having to like, you know, hazmat suit, like kind of like, and we obviously, we've learned more about it. It wasn't quite, that's not how it spreads and cannot, it's not as big of a, a risk. So fortunately, um, because that, that whole grocery washing thing was not going to last very long in our house, I'll tell you that, right? We've got too many, too many goldfish boxes coming through the door to like wash all of those, uh, those things. But we kind of went through that season. And then there was kind of this season of like, you know, sort of embracing it and, okay, well, maybe, you know, this will be, like, we can get through this. We got this. And all those Zoom calls were kind of fun for a while. Remember Zoom small group? Everyone was, like, snapping pictures and, and um, you know, sharing that. And it was like, oh, you know, this is kind of novel. We're, like, meeting online. And then that lasted for, like, two weeks, and it was awful. And um, nobody wanted to do any more uh, Zoom meetings. Um, everybody was baking bread and making schedules, right, and picking up hobbies and starting to knit or whatever, like, people were, were doing um, to, to fill the time. But now, here we are, more than a year later, and we're kind of in this place of just dissolution. Like, we're just, like trying to figure out where things are, where things are going, and how it's going to affect us. And here's the thing, here's the truth. Is I believe one way or another, whatever, however like long this continues to last or whatever the outcome is of this, it is going to have impact on not just our community, not just our city, not even our country, it will have impact on our world. And I believe this, that there are still ahead of us some very trying days like, I think there is going to be difficulty in the world to come, in the, in the years to come. But here's the thing that I also believe, is that whenever there's difficulty like this, there are amazing opportunities for the hope of the gospel to take root and to take birth. As a tide goes out, it must come in again. People have walked away from the hope and the truth or rejected altogether the hope and truth that's found in Jesus. And I'm telling you, anything else that they run to is not going to last. It's not going to... It's not going to give what they're looking for. Some of you are here today because of that very truth. You've tried other things and you know that it's just not working. So you're going to try Jesus. You're going to try his way and his working and, and his will in the world. And here's what I believe, church, is that we need to be ready for this season ahead because there is great gospel opportunity ahead of us in these years to come. I believe this. I believe that God is calling us in this place and in this time to remain steadfast on the truth that he's given us, to, to remain confident in the hope that is found in Jesus and to be united together as the church in the truth that we believe and under the banner and under the name of Jesus Christ in the same way that the church in Acts was. And so this for us is a picture that we need to embrace and then embody and live out and this should be, we should be able to replicate here and now what the church was doing there because our commitments and our, our uh, belief is the same. You see, we know the hope that is found in Jesus and so we carry that with us right now. And so whatever you're, you might be experiencing, I've talked to many of you that just kind of feel like this whole season it could be kind of summed up with one word. And that word is like blah, right? It's just kind of like, oh man, like I've just, ah, like I, yeah. Right? But here's the thing is I believe that when you understand what God is doing and how he's working and the mission that he's called us to, that we can still have purpose, that we can have joy, that we can have contentment, that we can have strength, that we can have all of this and even unity 
even in a time where there's so much disunity all, all around us. So that's what we're getting at this morning. We want to see the things that the, the church was committed to, where their unity rested, where their unity lied, so that ours may rest in the same places and in the same way. So let's walk through, let's look at this passage together. Before we go any further, let me just pray and ask that God would teach us now as we open his word together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love toward us. God, you love us. You love us so much that you are willing to send your son as a payment, God, for the penalty of our sin, or that you might reconcile us back and into a right relationship with you, that we would find righteousness in your son. And God, thank you for the unity that you have given to the church through the years. God, we know that that comes from you. That you are able to bring together people of different minds and of different backgrounds and God, of, of different temperaments. And Lord, unite them around the truth of who you are. And so I pray that that would be true for our church right now. I pray that would be true, true for the church right now. Across this planet, God, churches are gathering today. Would we do so united under the name of Jesus Christ? God, we desire to see your unity played out more and more in our lives and in our, uh, in our church here. And so, God, we pray that you would teach us now as we turn our attention to your word. Spirit, would you lead us to greater understanding and application of your truth from your word this morning. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, hey, let's walk through the passage as I like to do. I'll kind of unpack a couple things, and then we're going to um, see where this unity existed, the unity within the church reflecting the unity that they had in Jesus. Let's begin in verse 12. It says this, Then they returned to Jerusalem. They as those disciples, the followers of Jesus, right, from the mount called Olivet which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas, the son of James. And all these were with one accord. They were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and, the Mar and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all, about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now, this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. It's before lunch, okay? So here we are. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language Akeldama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during the, all the time that Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two. Joseph, called Barsabarus. Bar Bar oh, man, 
I always, I tripped over it on the first service, I practiced it between services, and here I am tripping over it again. Barsarabbas, I think is how you say it. Barsarabbas. Who was also called Justice. You wonder why he had three names, all right? One of them was no good, all right? And so, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, you who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. They cast the lots for them, and they fell on Matthias. Again, no joke there, no, no surprise. He needs a better name. Um, uh, Justice does, Joseph. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. All right, so here we go. This is... Kind of just a little, little vignette that we have right between, again, Jesus ascending to heaven and the church beginning. Here's what we see here. We see this unity, this of one accord, and we see it in three places. Three places that this unity was displayed. Here's the first. We see unity in the prayers. We see their unity in the prayers. Let's kind of walk our way through it and unpack this passage uh, together. It says, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. This Mount of Olives is referred to other places um, it's a Sabbath day's journey away. Probably doesn't mean a ton to you. Um, it's, a, it's the amount of distance that you were allowed to walk on Sabbath, which results in about 1,100 meters or two-thirds miles, okay? So not too far away. It's just, um, just a little, little bit of a walk. So they, they short walk back to Jerusalem. When they get to Jerusalem, when they entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying. Now, one thing that's interesting about this upper room, not to like kind of spend too much time on this, but it's kind of unique to think about, right? Is what is this upper room? Um, it doesn't say they went to a upper room. It says the upper room. It uses in the, in the language, it's a definite article, like it was a known upper room. And so we don't know exactly which upper room this was. The guesses would be that, you know, maybe it was where they celebrated Passover, right? And, and were with Jesus for that last supper with him before his death. The other place could be the upper room, which Jesus appeared. Remember, he like walked through or came through the walls and appeared to them after his resurrection. Um, we don't know if that's the same upper room that they uh, had the supper in. Or later in Acts, we're going to see that the church was meeting in the upper room of John Mark's mom's house. That was kind of the, the place that the church gathered. And so maybe this is the upper room. And they all come to know it later, right? Because the book was written, recorded. Luke wrote it later. And he's like, hey, it's the upper room. That's that same room that we were in. So we don't know, but it was a place that they were in and where God was about to work. And who was there? Well, we see 11 names. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas. There's one name that's missing from this. Luke has another list in his gospel of Luke that records the ministry and words of Jesus, right? There's another Judas, Judas Iscariot, who is no longer on this list. So it was 12, the 12 men that Jesus chose to begin to launch his kingdom here. Now is down one man, it's down to 11. And so these 11 were there. And what does it say about them? I would encourage you to underline this especially if you've got one of those journals open, underline this, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Look at, they were united in prayer together. They were united around the prayers. So many times in Acts, we see the prayers listed. And what this shows was an intentional, a concerted effort toward prayers. There was a, a formality to it. They were giving themselves to it. And the way that this is written is all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to the prayer. If we were to say it a different way, it would be like everybody together was in that place together and together they were 
giving themselves to prayer. And not just them, notice they were with others. 120 in total, we see from uh, verse 120, that was kind of in the whole sort of group at this point, but they were there praying together with the women, with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. A couple words about who they were with, these 11 men. The women, it's kind of interesting, you know, we see that Jesus, um, you know, he did, he chose these, um, these 12 men, now 11 men that were uh, his disciples, the apostles, but he always had around him um, women that were prominent in his ministry. And this was unique to the time and to the age and to the day. And so there was value, certainly, given. Not just value, but they were, they were central to the ministry that was happening in the early days of the church. And so we don't see names there, but our best like, understanding would be the, the, the names that we see throughout Jesus' ministry. So it probably included Mary Magdalene, or Mary of Clopas, or Susanna, or Joanna, or Mary of Bethany, or, or Martha. Right? We see some of these women, prominent position, part of the ministry. We're going to see them throughout the early church. They were there with the uh, apostles, as they come to be known, praying. The other person that we see there is is also unique to point out, Mary, mother of Jesus. This is Jesus' mom, right? Uh, Gave birth to the Son of God, and we know the the story, right, that we celebrate at Christmas time, but um, she was a virgin, betrothed to Joseph, gave birth to Jesus, And Jesus, even on the cross, said to his followers, he said, hey, take care of my mom, right? But here she is. She's worshiping and following Jesus as Lord after his death and now resurrection and ascension. And she's right there. Now, why I think it's interesting to kind of just stop there for a second is I know so many of us, especially in this area, maybe grew up with some Catholic um, tradition or maybe you have that in your family. And I know Mary holds a prominent place within the Catholic church. Um, she's prayed to at times. There's this veneration and, and kind of this up, uplifting. And, and to be honest, we just don't see that in God's word. That's kind of extra from what we see here. Do you know this is actually the very last time that we see Mary for the rest of the New Testament is right here when she's mentioned. And she's doing what? She's not being prayed to. She's praying with the rest of the followers of Jesus. I think it's also interesting. I mean, she's not like some, one of the um, things that people hold to is this perpetual virginity of Mary. Well, <laughs> that kind of goes out the window in that next statement, right? His brothers. Jesus had brothers. I don't know how you've, if you know how this works, but um, she wouldn't have still been a virgin like for the, for the rest of the kids, okay? Um, and so uh, she was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus, but that was a special circumstance, all right? And so here he is with his siblings, which I don't know what, again, we've said this before, I don't know what your siblings would have to do to convince you that they were the son of God, but Jesus did that for his siblings. His brothers, his sisters, they, they believed that he was who he said he was, that he was the son of God. We're gonna see James, actually, who pens some of the New Testament, brother of Jesus, believed that he was the son of God. And so here you have the family, why is it worth kind of seeing all of this? Well, here's, the, here's, here's why. It's because at that time, imagine the kind of chaos that they would have just been experiencing. Put yourselves in their shoes. Jesus just gave this mission. He said, go back to Jerusalem, wait, the Holy Spirit's coming. And I would imagine that there's like this feeling of, okay, well, we gotta get some things in place. Like, who's gonna lead us? What are we gonna do first? How long do we need to wait? What does this look like? All of these things, and yet, what do they do They join together with one accord in unity and they devote themselves, they give themselves to prayer. 
And this was not the picture that we saw so many times when Jesus was with them. Do you remember in that very, again, probably that very upper room not too long ago, they were arguing so much so to the point that nobody noticed that there was no one to wash the feet. And so it was Jesus who got down on his knees and he washed the feet of each of those because they were bickering and kind of fighting over their greatness. They were fighting over who was going to be the greatest, right? Remember that disagreement? There was the, the brothers, like, who's going to sit on your right hand, Jesus? They wanted prominence in that. Earlier in Jesus' ministry, the family came chasing Jesus down, knocking on the door, brothers there, trying to drag him out because they thought he was out of his mind. Like, Jesus, you've lost your your mind. What are you doing? And they were trying to go. But now we see all of them, all of them together with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer, giving themselves to prayer. And here's the first place that we see this unity exist is in, in the prayers. Listen, church, I cannot overstate it enough, but we as a church, if we want to exist and have unity in and among ourselves and with each other here in this church, we have to have to, have to devote ourselves to prayer. It is the thing that brings unity. It is this thing that strengthens the unity that exists. And it is the thing that fosters the unity to come. Is all in that prayer together. That's not just true for the church. That's true for the relationships in your life. And so husbands, wives, are you feeling disunited, disjointed, Is there conflict, disagreement in your marriage right now? My question would be, how often are you praying with one another? This could be a tool that you could use to increase your unity together. Families, with your children, is there prayer that's happening regularly? This is a place that leads us toward unity. Small groups, ministry teams, just brothers and sisters in the church. Listen, if we want to exist in unity together, we have to be in prayer together. It's really hard to be angry and disjointed and frustrated with each other and then pray at the same time. In fact, I would say it the other way, our inability to pray with one another might show the lack of unity that we have with each other. See, both are necessary. It's really hard to be uh, kind of disjointed and, 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 and dis, <laughs> kind of disillusioned with what's happening um, within a group or in a church and then show up to the prayer meeting and give yourself toward that. But I would say this is that that's also the place in which we can find that unity, that we can see and be reminded of the things that we share together. Because listen, listen, there is so much that we can be divided over right now, right? We see disunity everywhere, all around us. There is a fight around every corner, it seems. I stopped posting on social media. I don't know if some of you like noticed like over a year ago because I just felt like, I'm just like, I can't. It's not worth it to me. I want to engage in discussion. I want to hear people's thoughts. I want to do all of that, but I just felt like it was just so unhealthy and I just like, I can't, I just can't even engage in this. But here's what we can find unity. We can find unity in the way that we pray together. And that was one of the things that I think really challenged and convicted me. You know, we just, I said this over the last couple of months is that are we devoted to prayer together as a church? I think it begins in our personal devotion to prayer. It's really hard to kind of only publicly be devoted to prayer if you're not personally devoted to prayer. And so I hope, I hope that we're growing in that, right? Maybe some of us, it's getting there. Others of us, we're kind of back where we want to be. But are we devoted to prayer on our own? How about together? 
in groups together, in teams together? Are we praying together? This place can be a place, on Sunday mornings, can be a place that we are praying with one another. One of the reasons we use the platform we do online is so that we can have the opportunity. At any point, you can click ask for prayer, and there's people there that will pray with you. My hope is that as we're here in this room, that, that we would pray not for, not like for one another, but with one another. If all of you came in here on a Sunday morning with the goal of, I'm going to pray for at least one person this morning, how great would that be? You would walk away having been prayed for and praying for others and encouraged by that. And this is a place that we want to be, that we're being filled up, that we're being equipped in that. Would this be our goal together? You know, I don't want to overstate it, but next week I think can be just a really powerful time for us together. I know some of you will not be able to make it, but I hope that everyone that can will. It's been a long time since the entire church body, all of City on a Hill, gathered in one room together to pray together. There's something special about that. And so we want to take advantage of this. Yes, we've used the online tools that we could for a while, but there is something about being in a place together and praying. And I know for some of you, you're like, I don't even feel comfortable praying out loud. That's, <laughs> this is how you get better at it. You come and you do it. And pl- trust me, we're going to have tools and, and, and a flow to the night that's going to help and, and kind of give that. And you don't even necessarily have to pray out loud. You can just hear the prayers of others. But my hope is this, is that we want to gather together as a church. May it never be so that we would go very long without giving ourselves, devoting ourselves, gathering to prayer in this way. So next Tuesday, September 28th at 7 o'clock, we're going to be right here in this room. I hope, again, I know some of you will not be able to, but I hope if you're able to that you will be here because we want to unite around our prayers. When we do that, we're seeking, we're seeking the Spirit's work and His leading and His guiding together and asking that he would lead us to a greater place of unity in that. This isn't the only way they were united, though. We see two more places. Let's keep going. The second place that we see is they were, there's unity in the Scriptures. Unity in the Scripture. Look at verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. Um, some translations have brothers and sisters. This was kind of a generic term. He's speaking to the, um, uh, the family of God at this point, right? Brothers and sisters, the company of persons in all was about 120. And he said this, he says, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. So notice the credence and the prominence that he's giving to the scriptures. He's saying, hey, there were some scriptures that had to be fulfilled. They were fulfilled in Christ, and they had to be fulfilled regarding even Judas. It says, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who had become a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Just quick, like, sort of history recap to bring you up to speed if you're not familiar with who we're talking about here. Judas was one of the 12, followed Jesus for three whatever plus years of his ministry. He was the treasurer. He held the money bag. He had prominence there. He, he was faithful follower of Jesus, and yet at the end of his ministry... For 30 pieces of silver, he betrayed Jesus, leading those um, chief priests and, and the religious leaders to him so that he would be turned over to be crucified. He betrayed Jesus. And his signal, his kind of the place is, is, is that kiss that he gave him in the garden. He said, you'll know that, like, the one that's Jesus, right? Because this isn't, we don't have pictures everywhere. And so how do you know who it is? It was dark, it was at night. So he kissed him and, and that's, that's how he gave him over. And so Judas, one of the 12, betrayed Jesus. 
But notice what they say about it here. Peter says the scriptures had to be fulfilled. And look at how he's talking about the scripture. It says it was David, it was the mouth of David which wrote the scriptures, but it was the Holy Spirit that was speaking. And this is true of the scriptures that we hold in our hands today. It was as men carried along by the Holy Spirit that penned and authored this. And so they, they guided, and, or the Holy Spirit guided them and, and used them um, in that. But as they wrote, it was scripture that was being written. And we see that the scripture had to be fulfilled. You see, many things were fulfilled regarding prophecy, um, particularly around Jesus. Do you know that there's over 300 prophecies written about Jesus Christ that were, or were written about the Messiah that were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ? Why is that so important? Well, because that was like his unique authenticating signature. If you, you know all about like authentication, right? If you've tried to get into any sort of website, particularly your bank or different things, right? There's all these kind of ways that they authenticate. The other day I was trying to work on some computers and I had to like, I had like four devices out. I felt like I, I like needed proof of so many. It's like, this is my device. I, why can't I get, you know, it's like, and all this like two factors, they were like sending me text messages and phone calls and like putting in codes and, and doing all of that, right? Or if you've ever filled out the website, you gotta, you know, prove that you're not a robot, right? Because apparently robots are really good, really bad at finding fire hydrants. And so if you can find a fire hydrant, you're definitely not a robot, right? And so, and, and, and all of this, but what, what is it? What is it for? Well, it's to show who you, that you really are who you are and that you should have access here. Well, there was 300 prophecies written hundreds of years before Jesus came saying who the Messiah was and what he was going to do and, and where he was going to live and all of these things. And Jesus fulfilled them all. It's amazing. It shows that Jesus is who he says he was. Do you know that it said that he was going to be born in Bethlehem, that he was going to be born to a virgin, that he was um, going to die in a, in, in a certain way, that he was going to have a certain lineage, that he was going to have this type of ministry and these types of things that would happen, and all of these things came to pass in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, Scripture is incredible. It's incredible. And so many times I think we, we sort of, we either accept it at face value and we don't really think about just how much proof and how much strength there is in the scriptures that we believe. But more than that, the power that we see in the way that God was working through his scriptures. And so what they recognize is that God is working and speaking through his scriptures. And so what do they do? Well, they look to Psalms and they see these two Psalms. Psalm 69, may his camp become desolate. There may there be no one to dwell in it. It's basically saying they recognize that Judas um, kind of saw his end because of going against the will and the plan of God. That's what this, this psalm was, was David speaking about his enemies, and his, pra, uh, his prayer was that the, the camp would become, or he knew that the camp would need to become desolate, and so it was. Judas died. Um, it says here that he fell into this field. Matthew records it as a, as a hanging, that he hanged himself. Which is it? Well, probably both are true. If you really want to get into the details, um, you know, there's a good chance that maybe he was hanging there and the body swelled and, you know, I'll, we spare, you know, as much as detail as we need for that before he fell down and, and that, that happened. Or he was hanging himself and, and the branch broke and he fell there. Either way, like this is, he, he killed himself. He took his life. It drove him to this place. And so they recognized, let another take his office. They needed to replace this. Why? Well, because the scriptures were clear and Jesus had unpacked this for him that he wanted the 12 to represent and to be a picture and a symbol of this new kingdom that he was established. Remember the 12 tribes of Israel 
was what God used to build up his, his, his kingdom here on earth. And he was doing this all over again in a new way with these 12 men here representing this new kingdom that he was building. And so they were committed to seeing scripture fulfilled. There was unity around this. We're gonna see this play out throughout the ministry. This is gonna be something that we'll return to over and over again, the prominence that scripture had in the early church. But one so interesting thing that happens is they recognized, they recognized um, the work, they recognized the work that, was avail- that, that God was doing in and through the things that they were saying and speaking, um, that it was even scripture that they were writing and sharing one place I would point to for this is, and you can go and look this up later if you want to write down this reference, but Second Peter, um, verse 15 and 16, it says this, and count the patience of our Lord and Savior, our Lord uh, as a salvation, rather, um, just as our brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. So Peter is writing about Paul's letters, okay? And I love what he says here. He says, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, This is what I love. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Yeah, you think? Even Peter's saying that, so I'm like, okay, I'm not alone. Sometimes I read some things that Paul's written, and I'm like, that's hard to understand. But he says, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do with the other scriptures. What's he saying there? He's calling Paul's writing scriptures. So as the church is being born, and as these Men are writing these letters to the churches. They're, they're seeing that the scriptures are being fulfilled in what's happening, but that there's also scriptures being recorded and written in that. And the Holy Spirit is writing and, and, and speaking through them in this place. And so there was unity around the scripture. They were committed to seeing this scripture fulfilled. And so they did what they needed to do. And let's look at the third thing. We see it here in the last few verses. Verse 21 is where it starts. Let me give you the point and then I'll show it to you. It's unity in the mission. They had unity in the mission. Unity in the prayers, unity in the scripture, unity in the mission. What happens next? Verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. See, they recognize, they're like, 11's no good. We need that 12th man. Who's he going to be? Well, it has to be someone who was there at the baptism and stayed with us all the way to the end and saw the resurrection and was there for the ascension. And there was two names, right? You have Justice and you have Matthias. These two names were put forth. And so they prayed. There we go again. Prayer. They seek the Lord. God, you know. You know the hearts of all. Show us which one of these two you've chosen to step into Judas's place. Notice Judas was not replaced because he died. He was replaced because he went away from the Lord. He was apostate. He turned aside to go to his own place. That's why he needed to replace. So they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now here's the thing. We said last week, some of the things that we encounter in Acts are gonna be descriptive. Other things are gonna be prescriptive. This is descriptive. This is not telling us how we need to choose new staff members at City on a Hill, okay? So we're not, we don't have like a set of lots back there and that we're gonna like kind of just roll some dice and kind of figure out who's gonna be, um, you know, next, uh, next, next kind of staff that we hire or anything like that. Um, this is descriptive. We can get into later how God used lots and kind of worked through it, but it's not telling us to do that. It's just saying this is what they did. But God worked through it nonetheless. 
He showed them, led them toward Matthias, and so now their 12 were together. Why is that so important? Well, this was necessary for the mission that they were going to receive. See, they needed the 12, and before they, the Holy Spirit could come, they were waiting on him, and they needed the 12 so that this, this, new, this new ministry, this new kingdom, this new kind of season and God's working in his plan was going to be fulfilled through these 12. And so they chose him. And they were all about the mission. Notice why they needed him. Why was it so important that he had seen all these things? Well, it says, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Remember, that is what Jesus said. He said, you will be my witnesses. And so they had this laser focus on the mission that they were called to. Their job was to be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ to any who would listen. And here we see the direct contrast to the choices that Judas made. You know, I think it should stand as a stark warning for us that we can put ourselves in all the right places, right? We can be around some great teaching, great leaders, all of that, and still miss what God is calling us to do. Judas was right there in the center of it all and yet still turned away and chose to reject Jesus and all the things he taught and all the things that he did. And you see where it got him. It drove him to a place of taking his life. He was off mission. Jesus has called us to a great mission, and that mission is this, is that we would be witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have believed upon his resurrection, his death, his resurrection, and the power that's there, he's brought you to this place that you might be a witness to others of the power that is found here. Listen, sometimes we try and make evangelism, if you want to use that word, sharing our faith, telling others about Jesus so much more than it is. It's telling about what Jesus has done and the impact that it's had on us. And if you're here today and you're searching out the truth of what Scripture teaches, the central message that you need to hear is the hope of the gospel, is that we were lost, separated from God. God sent his son, Jesus, who lived a life that we couldn't, paid a penalty of sin on that cross, was buried three days later, rose again, was resurrected, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father and is coming back again. This is the hope of the gospel. This is what we are witnesses to. And this is the mission of the church. And here's the thing is that they had unity around this mission. There's a lot of things, a lot of ways that we can do it, but they said at the end of the day, we need to be witnesses for Jesus. So whatever is going to do that the best, whatever is going to get that done the most, that's what we need to be about. Listen, church, would we be the same? Would we recognize that our mission as followers of Jesus is still the same, that we are called to be witnesses of Jesus Christ? Here at City on a Hill, we are a local church, right? A local expression of God's global church. And we've stated our mission as part of this in this way. This is how it is on our website, just who we are. Our mission is this, is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. The Great Commission, you see at the last part of Matthew, um, it is to go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, is what Jesus said. That's the Great Commission. If you want to write that down, that would be an amazing thing to know. Hopefully you know our mission as a church to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Another way that we say it that's a little bit simpler, if you want to write this down, to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. To glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is what we are called to do. We're called to give witness to who Jesus is and to help them become followers of Jesus. 
That's what this is. That's what the Great Commission is. But here's the vision. That's what we want to do. This is how we want to do it. Our vision is this, that we would see lost people saved, saved people matured, matured people multiplied. This is the vision of what we are about. And I would just say to you, if you're here this morning and you are searching, you are seeking the truth, we are here to tell you that the truth and the hope is found in Jesus Christ and in him alone. There is no other way by which man is saved. It's only by the name of Jesus in which you experience life and hope and forgiveness of sin and eternity with him. It's through Jesus. We want to see lost people come to know that and thus be saved. But we don't want it to just sit there. We want to mature in that. We want to grow. We want to develop. And so that's my hope is that as we go through this, that we're going to mature over this next year, that we're going to continue to mature as a church. Ten years from now, hopefully we look different and we talk different and we have different priorities and different values. Why? Because they're more and more like Jesus has called us to, that we would mature in that. And as we mature, that we would multiply that we would pour into others and that we would see others lifted up and raised up and sent out. We want to see multiplication across the board. We want to see lost, saved, saved, matured, matured, multiplied. And here's the thing, and we'll kind of close with this, is there are a lot of things, a lot of things that we can disagree on, that we can get caught up in. But here's the thing, if we are center centered on the mission that God has called us to, then that is the place that we can find the greatest place of unity. If we recognize that our single greatest calling as a church is to be a witness for Jesus Christ, what he has done in our life, what he wants to do in the lives of those around us, if that is what we are most burdened for and most concerned about and most passionate about, that we can find great unity in those things. Listen, church, the greatest thing that would stand against us being able to carry out the mission that God has called us to is this disunity, that we would move away from that, that we'd forget the mission that he's called us to, that we would try and do it in our own power and we wouldn't be committed and devoted to praying and asking God to do it, or that we would be seeking and doing it in our own wisdom and our own knowledge and that we wouldn't be looking to his word to lead and to instruct and to guide us. All of these things is where we find the unity that we need to carry out that which he has called us to do. And that, for me, is so, so encouraging that we have the source, we have the strength that we need to do these things that he has called us to. So let's do this. Let me pray. And then we want to sing about the power that is found in Christ and his work and the way that he has worked. Let's do that now. Let's just pray, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. God, thank you for your working in our life. God, the way that you've called us to yourself, that you've brought us to this place of salvation. Lord, and we pray that you would continue this work that you've done and that it would go forth from this place. Lord, that we would be passionate about seeing others hear and know about the truth which we've already found. God, give us a burden, give us a heart for those who don't know. Lord, those in our midst who are wrestling or struggling with truth of, of this, God, would they respond? I, I pray right now, God, that you would show yourself to be faithful and true, or that we would recognize and see that there is power in your name, God, that you have worked on our behalf and you've called us to life. God, you've brought the dead to life in the name of Jesus through the work on the cross. So God, we rejoice in that. We stand firm on that. We find our strength and our hope and our joy in that. 
And in that alone, God, would you lead us to that place? Continue to do that. We ask in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.